Hey, good to, good to uh, catch up with you, Dean. And um, this is uh, something different. It should be uh, should be interesting. Yeah, likewise. So, from my my background, I've been been around quite a bit and uh, you know, done quite a bit of real world stuff over the years. Sure, not uh, full time for a long time, but um, it's interesting to me um, getting into the into the sim and, and working with uh, sim versus real races and also um, having access to, to data from, from so many drivers. You know, as, as an engineer used to driving, working with one, maybe two drivers or, or three at the most, um, but here we have a whole bunch of them. Are you kind of similar sorts of things you were finding? Yeah, look, I have zero engineering background. I started a mech engineering degree through um, open universities, but obviously being 38, I've got a son, I've got full-time job, trying to juggle it all just became too much, so it's on the back burner at the moment, but I've always had an interest in in vehicle dynamics, I guess, um, through Formula One, and I guess V8 supercars not so much, because then it's a lot more less spoken about, I guess, but um, yeah, for me it was just, I guess, a, a perfect storm. Um, I joined iRacing for dirt, um, ended up joining TTR was where I met Jared and we sort of clicked and circumstances led to the situation where with the shock deflection um, hack if you want to call it that was fixed towards the end of last year. Um, Jared was kind of frustrated a bit trying to relearn how to make the car quick and you know I guess with my interest and in his situation, we just started working together and haven't looked back since. Yeah, I kind of I got in on the end of um, end of that. Up until that that point, I'd kind of been playing around with setups and not really treating it that seriously. But yeah, the, that whole uh, um, spring perch shock setup was uh, was pretty interesting. And uh, um, once it sort of got knocked on the head, then everybody was scrambling around trying to figure out what to what to do. Um, how did you guys sort of get through that? I don't know from from our side. Um, I was working with the Redback guys at that point. We had you know probably about fifteen, I think about fifteen guys running. So we had a, a pretty broad group, and uh, there was a lot of testing and and trying to figure it all out. How, how did you guys kind of tackle it? I think it was just a situation where, um, again, as I'd said in the podcast, I was probably lucky that I was working with Jared because it's easy to get accurate feedback so it was just a situation where we went out and just started trying everything you know we start with one aspect of the car if that didn't work with well, then we'd move on to something else and and essentially we 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 found a, a point at which he was comfortable with the car again and I guess that's you know engineering or or set up side that's the the key thing is trying to to give them a car that they're confident you know pushing yeah, it's 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 the, the golden rule in, in motorsport: it test, 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 and then when you've tested enough, test some more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I think even Jared would would agree with me here that at times I've had to push him to to you know try things, and it took him a while to trust um, what I was doing, I guess, because you know, for him, the last thing you want to do is just go out and turn two hundred laps for the sake of turning him and learn nothing. So you know, it's it's getting past the misconceptions or, or the a, a confidence thing that, you know, we're heading in the right direction and there's value in what we're doing. Yeah, for sure. It's um, it all you know, it kind of all relates. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed how how closely the, the the sim relates back to to real life. You know, obviously, um, a lot of things on the car don't work as you know as we'd expect in the in the real world, but in the real world. Uh, you come out, you know, you get a new car or, you know, I used to do a lot of open wheel stuff and every year there was a, a new chassis to, to deal with. So there was a whole new set of problems each season and you had to approach it each year and, and basically relearn, not everything, um, but things, you know, some things worked as they as they did previously and other things were new. So you had that ongoing thing and that's exactly the, the same in the sim. You know, I took the, the, the V8 here and... You know, you look at shocks or look at anything, any any part of the car, and it, it's just 
like a, a whole new thing, and you've got to go through and learn it and test and figure it out. Yeah, I think one of the one of the biggest things is, and I can't say that it is because I don't know, and it would be um, obtuse of me to say otherwise. But in some ways, the sim is is harder because you know the the, the equations and and that that engineers use in real life, they can attain the measurements from the actual car to be accurate, whereas in the sim there's certain things that we don't know about and that's you know things like the center height of center of gravity and um you know wheel rates um things like that 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 they use as a fundamental um basis for what they do we just don't have that information and you know i messaged i racing to ask them a few specific questions they just turned around and said you know it's ip um we've, we've signed an agreement with the the teams that we work with and we can't provide that information so uh, some of it's speculation and that that would be what I'd say is the the part that you've got to toss out the window is um, trying to to really get specific or accurate in what you do because there's so much of the the car measurement or um, yeah I suppose you'd say measurements that you just can't you just don't have yeah I totally agree and the the other thing is completely unlimited testing um, you know in the real world even even with unlimited testing You've got restrictions like you go to a track for a day and and you're there for a day, and you've got you know a program you've worked out beforehand, and you've got to make your decisions and cut some corners to to come up with something in the available time. On the sim, you don't like it, go back and do another another bunch of runs, you know, grab another driver and go and do some more testing. It's uh, it's interesting to me that side of it. Yeah, I think you can see it in F1. Um, even V8s now, you know, with limited testing, the, the, they're using simulation um, to replicate real-life conditions. So they, you know, Formula One, for example, they can make a, a change to, a, you know, a particular aspect of the front wing and actually test it in the simulator and get, um, you know, valuable information out of that. So it just goes to show that, you know, even though um, I racing. You know, some people look at it as a game. Some people say it's simu simulation. Uh, it's there's value in it because otherwise people wouldn't be using it. Yeah, I I, I disagree with anybody who says it's just a game. Um, you know, I've been on the pit box calling strategy at different different times, and you know, I've done everything from from being gopher to to team manager. So I've kind of been in all sorts of different roles. And anyone who dismisses this lot as a as a game is uh, short-sighted and naive to be honest um they you know like calling that that race the the um aoc race the other day uh, i was as worn out after the, the four hours of that as as i ever was in a in a real situation it's um it's incredible is and the i think there's a huge amount of um um learning and and uh, training that can be done on the sims and i think right now motorsport in general is not doing that uh, they might be doing it with drivers and you know simulation on cars and things but i think on the team side and engineer side they're not doing anywhere near enough yeah I, the aosc race is a bit of a black mark for me we uh forgot to carry the one on one of the fuel calculations and both jared and jordan uh didn't have enough fuel so essentially you know that, that's a perfect example where at times it's you know when when you're the one doing the spotting or the you know the strategy you can really uh punish your guys if you're not diligent in what you do and i made a mistake and jordan had a 23 second lead and ended up having to pit at the end and finish third you know so in a lot of ways it's it's good to learn that stuff in in you know the the, the different categories but at the same time you know that that pressure is always there that if you don't make the right call or the right calculation that um, that the driver's going to suffer and obviously Jared's got really high expectations so and last night was a perfect example you know as he said in the podcast he only he crossed the line with a leader to spare so you know we cut it as fine as we could and we had to because he was under attack yeah I'm actually it's something that um um, you know, as we as Mac One is, is starting to move up the field, we you know I'm obviously observing everybody and, and looking at things. And I'm amazed how close everybody is is cutting things at the front of the field. And you know, same thing that that race the other the other day, um, we had problems in our with our last stop. We were trying to decide. Well, I was trying to decide what the what the strategy was going to be, 
And obviously, we, we knew that if we tried the undercut, everybody was just going to follow us in. So we, we really only had an overcut strategy to work with. And, uh, you know, pure, um, and that then relied on, on pure pace to, to, to make up what we were going to lose. And, and yeah, it was a, it was as nail biting and as, as tense as, as anything I've ever been involved with. It's, uh, pretty incredible, all that online. Yeah, I think, and that's, that's the, maybe the Achilles heel at times of being the guy on the wall is that, you know, the buck stops with you, I guess, with the decisions that you make. You know, the guys that drive put a lot of faith in in the decisions that you make for them. And if you make the wrong one, you know, you've got to try and make sure that that confidence doesn't waver at the next race. Um, thankfully, I haven't haven't made too many calls like that, especially with Jared. Um, and it may be unfortunate that, for the most part, this year he's, he's been relatively dominant. Um, so it hasn't been too stressful from that respect perspective, but um, you know, again, even at Sebring, you know, any race where there's two stops, you've really got to think about tire life and um, you know, value of undercut versus overcut. Um, you know, is it is that the value in that worth more than the even tire strategy? You know, there's there's plenty of things to come into play, and um, I enjoy it, but. Yeah, at times it's definitely stressful, especially when you know that, you know, Jared's, or, or Jordan, or Kyle, or Ethan, or Ian, whoever it may be, is it could cost them places if you make the wrong decision, and, you know, you can see in Scops how close the championship is, um, that you just can't afford to make those mistakes. Yeah, it's, it's um, you've got to be comfortable too that at some point you're going to make mistakes. And the driver's got to be comfortable too. At some point, he's going to make mistakes, and you've got to um, live and die as a team. And and you you know that's part of the the engineer driver bond. You know, and that that takes time to to um, to uh, put together. And you know, if a, a driver that starts questioning you all the time and and that sort of thing, um, it's taking away from his focus. You you know you just got to work as a as a team and and get it figured out. And that's uh, in real life a lot of so why so many guys have trouble you know they, they they don't click with their engineer and um suddenly it's all all a problem you know? yeah i think that's probably one of the advantages of of iRacing like i'd never done online gaming until you know i joined iRacing for dirt and you know the discord thing and all of that was new to me um i become really good friends with jared um you know and quite a few other people you talk you know if not every night every other night so the friendships there, and I guess maybe that's the the difference between, you know, real world and and sim is that you have the capacity to be in different states or different countries and and still communicate regularly, should you choose because of you know personal relationship. Yeah, it's um, it's different, certainly way different for me being being in different places. To uh, you know, I'm I'm based up here in the in the US, and you know, we're currently well working with. All the, all the Mac One guys and and putting a lot of time working with with Harley Haber, uh, especially to, to try and up our setup game and uh, up our our testing rates and things. And yeah, it's, it's completely different for me being so removed. We can't go and have a beer together or go to dinner or something later to build that relationship. So it's it's all about what we do online. It's uh, it's yeah, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know. The, the downside is that you don't have that personal side, but the upside is is that, um, you know, when you're sitting at home 10 o'clock at night or whatever, when you wouldn't be socialising anyway, you, you can jump on Discord and have a yarn. You know, as a team, we, we talk, you know, as I said, if not every day, every other day, whether it be for 10 minutes or, you know, two hours. So I definitely think the, you know, specifically at ERT, there's a really good bond there between the guys and... Um, good friendships and and it, it kind of breeds an environment where, where people do want to work together and be productive with their time, you know, and not waste other people's time because, you know, depending on where you are in life, you may have a family or whatever that you, you're giving up time to be be with them to, to jump on and, and work with the guys. And the big thing is, is that, you know, for yourself and me, it's, there's no glory publicly for what for what you do and that's not what I'm after, but that's just the reality. You know, there's always that guy in the background that that's trying to help people get better. Yeah, that's 
that's for sure. And it's, you know, um, when when you the drivers you're working with get some good results, you're part of it. And it's all part of the team, and it's great. You know, at, at Mac One and and uh, uh, even with with Redback, still, you know, we've got a very open um, policy as far as communication goes, and all our guys are in Messenger, and that's that's our main our main communication is Messenger. We use Discord during the races, but uh, you know, we're all talking all week and sharing things and. Uh, um, we've obviously got some guys doing GT stuff as well, so we jump in and, and try and help them. And everybody kind of works really well as a as a group, and, and uh, we're completely open open data sharing and open uh, everything within the team. Um, we're using VRS as the as the the main platform, but all of our guys have got completely shared data. I don't know how it is on your side. Yeah, fundamentally exactly the same. Like it, obviously ERT and apex racing merged this year so you know i think collectively we've got the guys that are in the v8s then you've got jared that's in the the porsche series with apex um we've got the gte world championship as well we've got guys in the rallycross world championship so there's there's plenty of things that are happening and you know if i'm not working with the v8 um you're kind of trying to help where you can with the GTE stuff. The Porsche, not so much, because there's very little you can do. Um, so, it's again, it's more of a feel thing, I think. You know, and as I said in the podcast, I, I think the the higher the skill level, like someone like Harley who's on the cusp, um, the engineering side of it is probably more valuable than someone, you know, further down the field turning laps on a really good baseline set. So, it's... It's, I guess it's understanding where the most value is. I know, you know, um, I'm working much closer with with Harley at the moment. But, you know, we've got a, we've got a bunch of other guys that are that are there or thereabouts as well. We've, we've gone through a period where a lot of them aren't kind of racing all the time right now. But uh, I mean, we've stepped up the the level with Harley, and and we're um, really putting some some time and effort into it. And it's been interesting to me. Um, you know, I'm working with a bunch of guys that, that are sim-only racers. We've got Harley, who's got quite a bit of real-world experience, and another couple of guys have got real-world experience. And it's it's interesting to me to, to see the difference between those guys and how they approach uh, testing, that sort of stuff. You know, Harley's very um, uh, controlled in, in his testing and and. Uh, you know, feels changes very quickly, all that sort of thing. So I'm working with a, such a wide range of guys. It's uh, sometimes difficult to, a little bit difficult to adjust to to the different driving styles and, and different things that are going on. And I'm sure there's similar sorts of things you're going through. Yeah, hundred percent. That's, you know, we we touched on it before. Um, I honestly think that everyone is slightly different, and I don't think that there's specific value in, um, you know. Perhaps your guys are the same. That um, one person's set isn't exact, isn't going to yield the same result as the next next person is for them. You know, so it's understanding that a really good setup is exactly that. But for someone else, it's, there's going to be things that potentially have to happen to it to make it achieve the same thing for them as it did for for the next person. So, yeah, completely, one hundred percent agree with with that. You know, we've got. Um, we've done a lot to encourage our guys to um, work on their own setups as much as they can. Um, you know, we've got two or three guys that are they're really good with with feel and, and all that sort of stuff. So we, we run through and, and do some testing, come up with some sets. But then we encourage the guys to, to really figure out what they need. And, you know, um, I'm available, Harley's available, other guys are available to help any of our guys to just figure that out and, and get the setups tailored to to what they need, because as you say, you know, the one guy's setup just doesn't doesn't work always for for others. It's um, and that, again, it amazes me in the sim that it's that it's the same sort of thing. You know, in real life, you take a a, a gentleman, let's call him a gentleman driver, and a top driver in a, in a team, which happens quite a lot. And you know, the the top driver needs to help the other one, but a lot of times you can't because the, the setup just doesn't work. So everyone's got to got to figure out their own thing to to a certain degree. Yeah, that's it. And I think you know, um, in the previous podcast, they talk, you know, talk about size of teams and um, you know the talent pool within 
the teams, and I think that's probably one of the bigger things. Um, the more people you have at a similar level, you know, in terms of the upper the upper level in whatever category it is, the more you're going to learn, and the quicker you'll learn it, because you have the ability for to get really good feedback straight away on changes, so you can dispel, you know, a lot of the potentially what's works in real world or what what theory may be um, you know pretty quickly you might the theory might say one thing but in in iRacing it yields the exact opposite so you know you can learn that put that in the memory bank you know I take a lot of notes and um, obviously I use Motec so you know constantly reading and and trying different channels and seeing if you learn different things about the car and and that's really what it's been for for me is trial and error and you know the patience of guys like Jared and Ethan and Forty, Jordan and Kyle and Jamie to to try these things and and you know give the feedback no, that doesn't work or you know it hasn't done what you said it should do. Exactly. Um, you know, there's there's so many myths and and things that are running around racing in forums and online and everywhere you can imagine. You know, everybody's got all these theories, but at the end of the day, you've got to get out there and test it. You know, um, you know, we had Monza there a few weeks ago, and and you know, the the do we run the back of the car down to get this boiler out of the the air, all that sort of stuff. Now, you know, those kinds of things to me, it's not rocket science. Go and test it and figure it out. And you know, that's as you do that stuff, it just all adds to the adds to the the information bank. And um, yeah, like you and I take lots of notes and. Um, half of them you can't read and understand when you go back to <laughs> go back to a place, but but yeah, it's uh, it's just as serious as the real world. You need you need to to be doing all that stuff, and um, it's the only way you learn. You know, we, we've done some crazy tests. Um, you know, just going to the the centre track and and going round and round and round with with different shock settings, trying to figure out. You know, uh, one of the things we don't know is is the valving on the shock, so. All you can do is go and test and, and try and figure it out. Yeah, I think that's one of the frustrating things. Like I did a lot of reading about suspension and you know damping coefficients and um, critical damping. But as much as I know there would be an advantage in that, we just don't know enough about it. You know, you can't go out and use a shock dyno and find out um, you know the the coefficient of your your compression and rebound and your knee speed and all the things that you need to be able to to work that out, we just don't have it, you know. Other than a other than a speed versus time histogram. Exactly. You know, I've got a I've still I've got a couple of friends that are that are involved in uh, in uh, a couple of major championships around the world. One of them's a an absolute shock expert and has been for twenty years. And talking to him about the shocks, and he's like, "Well, what valving you got? Can you change anything?" I'm like, "Nope, can't do a thing." So he's like, "Well." Good luck, you know, you're on your own. Yeah, that's it. And I think, um, you know, there's plenty, teams are even using a lot of simulation now. Like, you've probably heard of Chassis Sim with Danny Nolan. Um, you know, I, I did a lot of reading on that and um, I, I even bought credits for his online simulation to see if, see if there's anything you can do to try and replicate because there's a lot of raw data you get from iRacing um, that you can create enough information for a simulation, but reality is, is that you, the tyre model is, you know, potentially the weakest link because you don't know enough about, you know, the compound, um, you know, uh, wall thickness, strength, you know, wheel rates. Um, there's just nowhere near enough information to go to that level as much as I'd like to out of pure personal desire. But you just there's, there's a hole there you just can't fill. Yeah. Totally on the on the tire thing, it's it's just it's crazy, you know. Uh, it gets to the point sometimes you can't even decide which way you're going to go on pressures. I, you know, I don't know if I should be admitting that here, but but sometimes you, you you move you move up and it has you know depending on temperature and humidity and everything else that's going on and and you move it up and poof, disaster or go the other way and and you know same sort of thing. It's it's just so hard to work out because of the unknown variables. It's funny because you know, in a lot of ways, sim racing is is probably correlates to real life motorsport in the sense that the things that you learn, the team considers intellectual property. 
you know, and uh, and that's based on the fact that the scops especially is so competitive that you can't afford to give anyone else, you know, an edge if if you've learnt something that that you feel may may give you the edge. You know, that that's just how it is, and it's it's frustrating in some ways because information flowing around kind of helps you work out whether you're you're headed in the right direction or not. But um, thankfully, we've got to a point, and as I said, the benefits of Jared and and Ethan, etc., mean that we we can pro- possibly learn things a bit quicker than than others. The other side of it is is that you know I still think there's a there's a real value in having a really good baseline um, that will work at most tracks, and then you know straight away based on the style of the track which direction you need to go. You know, softer, stiffer. Um, what are you trying to achieve out of the car? Does it have enough turn? You know, like Monza, is it worthwhile running a boat spec setup? You know, I know that in YouTube there was comments uh, during the race that, you know, I don't don't know why people are still running boat sets. It doesn't work. Well, you know, I guess it depends on what it is you're trying to achieve out of the car because it worked for some people. Yeah, I think the whole the whole boat setup thing is, is um, you know, originally from what I understand, everybody was like, we'll get the spoiler out of the air. But that's not, you know, from, from what I've done at Monza, that's not your main concern. Um, you spend a lot of time in the corners there. You were, you know, as we as we saw that the biggest gain you could get at Monza's running off of the the first corner and getting a run out it gives you about an extra what? So I guess about three k at the end of the straight. Um, but yeah, like, you know, running the the car and that in that boat setup, if you can get the rest of the variables together, worked. Um, we had actually for Monza we we had a, a setup like that, and we had another setup that was more conventional. And we ran about the same time with the two of them, so I don't know. You know, it's uh, it's just whatever whatever the driver can make work. Yeah, that's it. And look, uh, I think everyone will remember the the Monza prequel episode. Um, you know, ironically, I think there was probably more time spent discussing that than 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 there was in the advantage of it. Um, Personally, I, I just think that it comes down to, and like with what I do with Jared, is about giving him something or working with him towards something that gives him a, a car that he's comfortable to push to the limits. And I think that's what I would imagine that's true with um, real-life motorsport too because you can give someone a fast car, but if they're not confident in the way that it responds, they're not going to yield you know, the biggest advantage. Yeah, for sure. It's... Um and you know, in the, in the sim, you've got so much more time to get to that point. Really, you know, um, obviously, uh, real life allowing, but uh, you know, so many things that that you can go on and, and test in small increments that real world just doesn't allow. You know, you, you've got to make five, ten changes at once sometimes, just because you're limited in time. Whereas here, you can kind of really fine tune. Um, and for me, I know. When we get down to the point where we start moving shocks, maybe one, two clicks, um, tire pressures. Um, well, I hate kilopascals, but you know, um, if you <laughs> let's go old school and say you move them one or two psi instead of this, uh, you know, point two of a psi, um, you know, and you start feeling differences and and seeing lap times. That's when you're getting close on a setup. Yeah, and you know, you know, as I alluded to in the podcast, I didn't know any of this stuff, like prior to to really going out and searching for the information but there's that much information online that you can educate yourself well enough um, should you wish to to get to a point where you can get understand enough about the car that you're utilizing your time the most efficiently you know the uh, last thing you want to do if you've got you know Jared or Ethan or or Harley um, for an hour you know the last thing you want to do is waste 40 minutes of that in the wrong direction so the more more information you have and the more work you do and, and again you know like yourself it's probably an advantage that I have and and you know anyone that has the is fortunate enough to have someone that's willing to, to invest time and not drive themselves is instead of you focusing on on driving and trying to work on the setup you've got someone that's sole purpose is to to try and find you the solutions to your problems well then you're always going to have an advantage and you know i think that any team that has that capacity whether you know if it's not someone working on the setup specifically but just spotting and and um, doing strategy or whatever it may be 
it's just a it's a situation that becomes more and more confident and productive. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's um, um, you know, the, it's so close at the at the front here. You have to you have to have somebody working with you. Um, even the the driver can't really even even look at the the fuel numbers if they start doing that sort of stuff. They're not 100% focused on the driving, and and then you know they 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 get themselves into trouble. So yeah, having somebody at this top level is uh, is very important, I think. Yeah, well, like we learnt at uh, Phillip Island, you know, as we finished second and third, um, but still we kind of perceived it as a bit of a kick in the kick in the nuts because I felt personally that I'd missed, you know, something in the setup for us to be in that position and that's not taking away from Madison who who you know really drove an amazing race and, and earned the win but from my perspective it meant you know I seen it as though that I let the guys down because there was something that I missed so you know we went back and and I don't know whether a lot of people do it but I sat looked through the data um, you know watched the broadcast again tried to evaluate from my perspective where we went wrong um, you know, had a team debrief, discussed, you know, as a team, what did we think were our strengths and our weaknesses. We went away and worked on that and, and um, you know, it could be just coincidental or luck, but we haven't lost a race since. So, you know, I definitely think there's something in evaluating your strength and your weaknesses because it gives you the capacity to, to not waste time on the things that you're good at and spend more time on the things that you're you're not so good at. Yeah, definitely debriefs are, are a huge part, and um, I, I, you know it's it's the sensible, you know, the layout of, of how you approach a weekend and all that sort of stuff. You know, for me, I, I, I do pre-race, which is looking at you know previous races, working working out all the fuel, looking at strategies, all that sort of stuff before. Then there's the the setup component, then obviously the race you you, you you know, helping and calling and doing whatever whatever we need to do there, and then the the post race to me is one of the most important, and that's where everybody has to be honest, lay their cards on the table. If we screwed up, we screwed up. Get it out in the open, get rid of it. Um, learn what we could have done, what we did do, what we should do better. Um, yeah, that's a, a key to it, and that's I've done a lot in pre and, and post race analysis over the years with with all sorts of teams, from enduro teams to to sprint racing and stuff, and it's one of the most important things: is be prepared and and then review it afterwards and, and learn from the mistakes. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think you know there's been a lot of discussion recently about you know hot lapping and the amount of time that people spend you know just doing qual laps in pre qual and things like that. But I think there's value in that depending on on where you are as a driver because. Um, I think I truly believe one of the most important aspects of the week is qualifying. You know, you can be, you know, a Harley Haber or a, or a Jared or a, a Madison Down and um, have really good race pace, but if you can't qualify and you're in the, you know, the further back you go in the pack, the higher the risk is that you're not going to be able to utilise the speed that you have in a race. So, you know, I definitely think that depending on where you are in terms of your ability as a as a like from a race race standpoint qualifying is is one of the the most valuable things or parts of scops because it really is going to dictate the chances you have of moving forward or going backwards I couldn't agree more and that's one thing i've been trying to get our guys to focus on more is qualifying a lot of them have always been we'll put the setup on and you know we, we go round and round and and uh that's we develop a good race set, but as you say, if you're not up there in qualifying, you're nowhere. So I've been trying to get our guys, you know, really get them on edge for those qualifying laps, and and you know, learning from from how others approach qualifying, and you know, the 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 uh, um, get out there and win it or bin it kind of mentality that you need for for qualifying, and really getting up on the on the edge of the car, and you know. Um, Getting the the set up to the point where it's it's almost knife edge, but you can cut the good qualifying laps, and that's you know you, you've just got to be there when the field's that close. We see it in real real V8 supercars. If you're not at the front, you're in trouble. Yeah, and I think it, it you know straight away you can if you look back historically over 
scops the guys that qualify up the front are generally the guys that finish up the front you know barring you know a pit stop disaster or, or a, a racing incident or something like that for the most part statistically you would say that the guys that have qualified well are going to finish well and it's not an easy thing to do because um you know again i don't drive but it's easy to see from from guys that you watch across all levels of um, ability it's really hard to put one fast lap together because there's you know you've got a lot of pressure on yourself and i think the more skill you have and the you know the more time you spend in that environment the less affected you are by pressure and the probably the better result you're going to yield but you know that's why i think that there is credit in hot lapping but at the same i guess it's finding that balance between um doing those qual laps and still practicing enough from a race stint perspective that you you've got both sides covered but again it's from my perspective it's about evaluating your strengths and weaknesses yeah for me they're almost two different I, I look at them almost as two different skills i'm like you need to get out there and, and practice your qualifying you know to, to take a nascar term get up on the wheel um you know those those extra that extra meter under brakes that you know the, the controlling the lock up into the corners um all that sort of stuff it's it's a skill you've got to got to perfect and qualify and then you've got the race and, and the race is harder to test for because we generally don't test in groups we, we test singly and and then you get in a race and you're behind somebody you can't see anything all that sort of thing so to me they're kind of almost two different skills yeah 100 percent. and i think it comes down to you know depending on what level you're at you get out what you put in and practice laps and whatever you however you want to look at it is probably painful for the most part not that i have to do them but i spend a lot of time in practice servers watching those laps and you know waiting for jared or ethan to upload the data so i can look at it make the changes go out and validate them you know do they work do they not work right oh well we need to look at something else and that's what it comes down to when i think um it's probably becoming more valuable to have that situation where you have someone to be able to do that for you as opposed to having to be a driver and try and do that as well because you take whatever you're doing it you're taking away from the times that you could be putting in laps to get better and that's what it comes down to i don't think there's any shortcut in in eye racing or any form of motorsport where it's all about the, the more amount of laps you do the more experience you gain and the more feedback you can give about what you need from the car and you know where where the car's strengths and weaknesses are and and, a, and another aspect of it i think is um acknowledging that when you build a setup for a particular track there's it's always going to be a level of compromise you know you're not going to be able to have the car optimal for every aspect of the track but you've got to w work out what's the most valuable aspect of the track you know is it worthwhile trading off the weak spot that you have in this part of the track because it's more valuable to be stronger in that that next part oh yeah huge huge compromises um you're just always looking to you know silverstone recently classic example you know one half the track's fast the other half slow um talk about <laughs> somewhere where you make one one change and and suddenly you've lost you know a couple of tenths over one side of the track but you pick it up on the other and trying to balance all that and keep it uh keep it good it was actually quite a quite a task uh, how, how did you guys get on there yeah i th just think it's again it's looking at the overall field i think is probably the best approach and seeing where their strengths and weaknesses are and and working out okay if I, do i focus on the slow speed stuff versus the high speed because everyone else is weaker in in that aspect of the track or the other so it's a, a lot of it's gambling you know you, you're kind of trying to to work out what you perceive to be the most valuable aspects of the track and trying to optimize the car for where you think that's going to be and i think that's that's probably the big thing i've learned is you can't fix every scenario you know the, the car might be perfect for 90 percent of the track but it has understeer or oversteer in this particular track here and it's a matter of saying you know okay i understand that that's that that's the case but can you drive around that for that 10 percent as opposed to trading off the benefit that you have on the the other 90 yeah i agree and that one difference i see between sim only races and those with with real racing experience the guys with the the real experience um understand that and don't need to be 
um, show on that or, or you know have that sort of stuff or to learn that that kind of thing um, some of the some only guys I see um, think that everything should be perfect when it, it's just not possible because you've got too many variables and you know you're working with too many different parameters so it's yeah it's just a, a big compromise yeah 100 percent and I think that's something that um, that we probably learned from um, one of our friends Bryce Washington who has I said in the podcast, he has um, a lot of real world experience and success. And, you know, it's a, you talk to him and he says that motorsport is about compromise. You know, you can never have that perfect um, storm as such in terms of performance. You've always got to, you've got to have a trade off because it's impossible to have a car that reacts exactly the way you want it everywhere. And it's about identifying, you know, as we said, where where's the best part of the track to have that trade-off and accepting that and and learning to drive around it and not be frustrated with it. yeah for sure and that's you know you've got to the driver's got to uh, work with that and and get that kind of figured out you know and that's that's part of what they do it's interesting to me that that you don't uh, you don't drive the the v8 i know for me i i did when i was younger i did a lot of um quite a bit of uh, circuit racing and stuff and and um, obviously, never went on to to have a career, unlike unlike uh, my brother who went to to crazy heights. But um, interesting for me coming into the sim race uh, platform and and being able to drive and get the the feedback from the car, um, which you know I could never do as much in the in the real world. So it's it's interesting for me to go out there and do a little bit of testing and make the changes and get the feel and I, I get a better understanding of, of what the guys are doing. So it's interesting to me that, that you're, you're not running. No, it's kind of a situation that I was forced into. Like I joined iRacing for dirt. Like that was I grew up around watching sprint cars and and speed cars in Australia, but midgets. Um, so that was what lured me here, and I've kind of been dealing with um, health issues for the last five years which kind of precludes me from being able to to drive but um yeah I, I guess for me i get as much enjoyment if not more out of this now than what i did when i was driving dirt so and look i still have an interest I, i've dabbled in you know jumping in service with bryce and jared doing mx5 um officials and things like that but it just i don't have a, a burning interest to be a good driver myself because I can accept that the learning curve is so steep and at my age it's just you know I, I guess I'm not willing to to invest the time because I can't I have a family and you know a full-time job and what have you so for me I get to to have some success you know through Jared like being a part of it and with Ethan and and the ERT guys so you know I'm happy with that and comfortable with my role because I, you know, we all know that there's value in it, and when you know the old saying, "We win together, we lose together." So, thankfully for us, we win more. We've been winning more than we've lost, and it's a, it's always a good feeling. But at the same time, the pressure is there now that there's a, a level of expectation, not just from you know outside, but from Jared and Ethan that as well. That you know we we should be at the front and. If we're not, well, then there's questions asked. So there's definitely, you know, upsides and downsides to the position you're in. Don't you come over and run the dev series with me? We can, we hang up our, our crew chief hats and just go and have some fun. It's actually, it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it because I don't have to worry about setup. I, I just get out there and and drive quite often in split two, but I couldn't care less. We're racing for sheep stations down there anyway, so uh, it's fun. There's, a, there's you know wherever you are in that field, there's people to race with. And it's interesting to get the, the, the feel of the car and, and you know, um, just being out there in the race situation gives you a lot of, you know, what what our top drivers are, are going through. Yeah, I think, as I said, like, for me, where I'm at right now, it's it's health reasons why I'm not um, driving. So it's, it's just one of those, you know, things of life, I guess. And, and also, I, I kind of keep myself busy enough with doing what I'm doing that I think if I went out and drove the car... and Look, I jump in servers in, in the Pro 4 and whatever and have a play, but 
to sit down and do a full stint race with where I'm at at the moment is just it's not possible so I keep myself busy looking over data like I got Jared's data from last night um, within half an hour of him finishing so you know we're looking at it and trying to to learn some things not that we were slow by any means but I know and you know Jared knew that the car just wasn't where it should have been so trying to understand why it wasn't what we miss what can we do better and go you know to Virginia feeling confident again yeah yeah it's um there's always stuff to learn out of out of all the data and uh yeah, inter- interesting to me being with a, such a, a large group of drivers just we've got all kinds of, of data and it's interesting even even if somebody is a lot slower still interesting to see their data compared to the faster guys and and look at the braking look at you know all that sort of stuff and and see how different people are approaching different corners and different things so i think it helps everybody in the in the team yeah 100 percent. and that's you know that's what it's about i think you know once you get like scops is a perfect as jared said in the podcast you know in a lot of ways it's it may not be a world championship um race but it's it's at that level you know the racing is so competitive it's so close you've only got to look at last night you know there's four or five cars that are completely you know harassing each other for for the majority of the race and the pressure that they must be under and you know is immense so to see the sport be as close as what it is and you know the level of driving for the most part as high as what it is it's it's a credit to them and the teams that they race for and and um, the series itself like I'm really impressed with Scops over as a whole I think it's an it's one of the best series that I've ever sort of watched or or been involved in yeah for sure it's amazing that you know you get that it was in qualifying last time was at one point 1.2 seconds or whatever it was 80 cars that's and there was more beyond that that were, were so close that didn't get in it's uh, pretty incredible it's amazing to me it's insane it's you know, it's a, as I said, it's a credit to them and their teams that they keep, you know, in a lot of ways, the guys that are that are on the cusp, you know, of top split or on the cusp of making second split, it's a credit to them that they keep, you know, trying. Don't be discouraged. You know, people get better. And the more work you do, the better you get. And, you know, I think it's great to see different people coming up the field. Um, you know, as much as I'd like for us to continue the the uh, form that we have you've got to constantly accept that there's always someone knocking on the door and last night was a perfect example that jake and and madison were you know completely hounding jared and ethan for the for both races you know it was there was never a moment where it was we felt confident that we had the race won until he crossed the line so yeah those we've got to work hard they're always always good races but yeah we've got you know a bunch of guys that are that are uh um, on the on the move and, and improving, you know, probably our, our biggest improver over the last probably six or eight months is Stephen Varga. You know, he's he's putting in the hard yards, doing the testing, and uh, getting slowly getting it all figured out. And you know, we, we we're trying to get him up there in qualifying. We're struggling in qualifying, but now he's been racing with with Harley and OOSC. He's he's capable of, of running up with guys up up around the front. And but we're just struggling to get him there in qualifying. So Scops, you know, he ends up in the he ended up in the in the second split. We just can't get that extra tenth, extra two tenths, you know. And that's that's where we're working with him a lot right now to to, to try and improve that. But it's interesting to see see these guys progress and and move up the field. It's great. Yeah, I think that's you know we're in a similar position. We've got Jordan and Jordan Ross and Kyle Stokes, um, James Scott. Uh, Jamie McKnight, you know, they're all guys that are constantly there or thereabouts. So, you know, as much as you you can spend time working with Jared and Ethan and Ian, who you know are legitimate top ten guys, um, there's Kyle and Jordan and that that are knocking on the door of that top ten. So, and a lot of it comes down to just the you know luck. I could look at Jordan's season so far and say he's been really unlucky. Um, you know they say you make your luck but I honestly think that in Scops in a lot of ways as I said before qualifying really dictates um, the potential 
rhythm of the race that you're going to have, the better you qualify, the safer potentially you're going to be. I'm not saying that it's you know you're guaranteed to to finish in the top five, but you're, the likelihood of that happening increases exponentially for every position you gain in qualifying. Yep, for sure. And that's uh, as I said, it's, it's great to see some of the, you know, the guys developing and moving forward. It's uh, it's really good. Yeah, I guess we've we've run well over our, uh, our designated designated time limit here, so it's been uh, been fantastic. Yeah, no, it's been good. Look forward to having a chat again in the future. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, good to kind of swap notes a little bit without sort of uh, delving into 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 the secrets. But um, you know, it's it's to me it's interesting to see how um, others approach the the same set of problems that, that we're all faced with. You know? Yeah, I agree. I think it's, you know, as I said, for us, it's been a learning curve all year. You know, I think I can't imagine in iRacing or, or, or sim racing specifically you're ever going to be in a, a situation where you, you you find a status quo that remains the same. You know, there's going to be updates to cars just like in real life. you got to, one, you know, you, you've got to got a, a gain or whatever it may be from a setup perspective one week and a change comes out and then everyone's back at a level playing field and it comes down to whoever's you know finds those those little gains the quickest wind up you know in in that position again so there's never there's never going to be a, a specific status quo that's for sure even though at the moment you know Jared's very dominant things change especially in sim racing because people's you know, workload in life changes. So yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's uh, people will join the front of the field, and others will will drop away. It's, uh, it's that natural cycle. But uh, yeah, it's all uh, all good stuff. No worries. Well, uh, yeah. Thanks for the chat, and look that forward to having another one in the future. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot. That's uh, fantastic.